Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are talking about the Gospels. This is Gospels part 135. Jesus' life is still at stake in these episodes that we have been covering over the past few weeks. Um, Last week we saw where High Priest Caiaphas sent Jesus to Pilate. And we get to see in the text this interaction between Pilate and Jesus Pilate questioning him, like, what is it that you have done? Are you actually a a king? And Jesus is very mystical. You know, my kingdom is not of this world. If it was so, like, I would have people down to be helping me in this situation. But I've come to display the truth. And Pilate, you know, very candidly responds, what is truth? And he, he wants to wipe his hands of the situation. He doesn't really want to get involved because he hasn't really seen, a, you know, any form of guilt that Jesus could have done. And so he sends him to Herod. Um, yeah. And then we get this really crazy interaction where Jesus gets mocked and mistreated once again. And, uh, they actually clothe Jesus in kingly robes, actually arguably potentially Herod's robes uh, of of his own to right. mock him of being king of the Jews. And then they, they, Jesus didn't respond through any of this. And then he, Herod sends him back to Pilate. And I guess Pilate thought that that was a funny joke and it bridged the gap between their animosity and the text. And Luke says they became friends that day. Uh, just really really cruel stuff going on right now with with Jesus here. But wait, there's more. (laughs) I mean, the you know, the cruel stuff. So yeah, well, let's go on because I mean, this is a good part of the story. Why why, uh, hesitate? We're in Luke chapter 23, verses 13 to 15. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. And said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Of course, if you're listening to that and you're any sort of believer at all, in your mind, you're going, yeah, yeah, right. So so here we have it. Pilate, he's gathering all of his accusers together, the chief priests, the rulers, scribes, whatever, and maybe even some crowd that isn't a part of them is starting together, that kind of stuff. He gathers everybody together. He's still not convinced. Now, the one charge that Pilate at least it's mentioned in the text, so it kind of makes it look like this is the one he's focusing on, is the misleading the people. And, uh, okay, so we would call that, I think, in Roman terms, we'd call that sedition. And for what it's worth, we should just say this out loud. We're not talking about that, you know, somehow they felt that Jesus 
was offering invalid interpretations of Torah. That wasn't the kind of misleading the people were talking about. It's more like he was leading the people to a place of revolt. That's where we get the idea of sedition or whatever. That Jesus was actually going to, you know, he was going to take over as this new king. Now, if that had been true, well, and, and like in the worldly sense, this would have been quickly squashed by the Romans. But the problem is Pilate, he just doesn't see it. This man is no threat. And he even adds that Herod also found nothing against him. This guy has done nothing deserving death. And so, Samuel, just, I'm curious, right at this point, do you almost begin to feel that that Pilate, Herod, you know, maybe they're not all that unreasonable? It seems like they're reacting with some common sense in this moment, at least what the text is giving us. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, they'd like to have a reason to put someone to death, whether it's good or not. But, but, but they need a reason. They want a reason. In Jesus, they, they can find no reason at all. I know I mentioned it before. I'm going to say it again. Don't be fooled. These were bad guys. But at this moment, it's like, man, they make more sense than, than the Jewish leadership. This is crazy. The Jews who are there, the, the ones who are accusing him, they brought them brought him to Pilate. Well, they have to be super frustrated at this moment. I mean, what on earth are they going to do to get rid of this guy? Now, lucky for them, even when Pilate is being reasonable, eh, he's still a pretty bad guy. So <laughs> we're going to get to see that as we go. But do you have anything there, Samuel? No, I'm just waiting to see how the text is going to show him to be a bad guy again. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's see. We're covering a lot in this next bit. This is Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 to 19. Mark chapter 15, verses 6 through 10. Luke chapter 23, verses 16 through 19. And John chapter 18, verses 39 and 40. I think I'm going to read from Mark this time and bring in a little bit from Matthew. So Mark says this. Now, at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. Now, all the other stories, you know, kind of sort of fit with that one way or another. Matthew adds this cool little bit hanging on the end of his. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Okay, so so Pilate, he's already established a custom in previous years. On this Feast of the Jews, on Passover, he would release one prisoner to them, 
whoever they asked for, he was going to give them a full pardon. And so this would be the reason that a real crowd, like in addition to the chief priests and the scribes, elders, whoever, a real crowd would have been gathering for this reason. As it turns out, there was currently in prison a bunch of rebels. These are people who had already actually committed some form of insurrection. And among them, there was this guy named Barabbas. Now, this is going to blow your mind, Samuel. His full name was Yeshua Bar Abba. And Bar Abba means son of the father. Right. Which, oh my God. Yeah. Yeshua was Jesus's name in Hebrew, Aramaic, whatever. And, and Yeshua Bar Abba. I just think that's crazy. His name was Barabbas. Now he was in prison because he participated in that insurrection and he had committed murder. And we aren't even sure. It could have been during the insurrection. It could have been addition to that insurrection. It could have been both, whatever. This was a bad guy. In fact, kind of ironically, this Barabbas was the grotesque version of what they were accusing Jesus of being. He really was it, and he was the awful version of it. So you would have to ask this question. I mean, if you're just being somewhat reasonable, well, if these guys wanted Jesus dead so badly, well, why wouldn't they want this guy dead too? And of course, we know it's not because of insurrection. What was their real reason? Do you remember that, Samuel? Uh, I, I'm Blasphemy. blanking, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Blasphemy. But that didn't hold any water with Pilate. So here's what they were going with. Now, Matthew is the only one of the Gospels that has Pilate offering the explicit choice. Do you want me to release Jesus or Barabbas? The other Gospels actually have the crowd, and you got to assume it's, it's the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes, at the very least. Maybe some others were joining them. Who knows? But they were choosing Barabbas all on their own. Matthew and Mark tell us that Pilate could see that the only thing this crowd had against Jesus was their own envy. And I think the way that we should read that is that the people, the Israelites, Judeans, whatever you want to call it, the people generally loved this Jesus, but they did not love them, the chief priests, the scribes, elders, whatever. So the envy, okay? Now, I actually, I really love that Matthew gave us this explicit choice because I think it highlights Pilate's perception. He sees this in the people, and so he gives them this crazy, ridiculous option, which they take. It's crazy but it also highlights the crowd's hypocrisy because this guy was exactly what they were accusing Jesus of being, which wasn't true. And he was a horrible version of it. So anyway, I love that. Matthew, but remember he adds that one interesting detail. Pilate's wife sends Pilate a message, a warning. Don't get involved with anything to do with that man, Jesus. He isn't just any man. He is a righteous man. I've had a dream of him, and it has upset me greatly. Now, you might be thinking, why would this pilot guy care about that? Whatever. To be clear, the Romans were very religious. Now, we would look at it from the outside, we'd call it pagan, whatever, but they were very religious. And it's reasonable to think that this had 
some substantial impact on Pilate. This message from his wife. So uh, that's kind of the end of it here. We'll talk more about it later. There's that bit, Samuel. You got anything there? Yeah. Talk about like divine reversals with the bit of Barabbas's name having Yeshua in front of it and Barabbas itself meaning son of the father. It's like you have (laughs) the same meaning, salvation, son of God, son of the father. Uh, You have the true sense of that in Jesus and you have the antithesis of that in Barabbas and the roles get switched on who is declared innocent and who is declared guilty. And that is just a powerful image to see in the text. Yeah, it's completely um, insane. Yeah. It, it's it's so hard to fathom, you know, but telling you, eyewitness accounts. And um, I also just wanted to add this interaction that Matthew adds that Pilate's wife sending word to him. It This sounds awfully similar to how the end of John the Baptist's life went with what was the guy? Was it another Herod that yeah. killed him? Yeah. Uh-huh. So it was yeah. Herod's wife that asked for John the Baptist's, or was it his wife's daughter that? Right. Right. Yeah. The daughter. But but still, yeah. like the authority of oh, this of a woman of a wicked man led to the prophet of bringing in the Messiah, and then right. now there is a woman married to a wicked man who is bringing the end of Messiah. Now, interesting, though, for for Pilate's wife, eh, she was actually trying to defend him somewhat. Kind of weird. But the the, the parallel, I, I, I love what you're bringing up. It's like, okay, yeah. So we got the guy with the power, and we got the guy with the power's wife, and how they influenced, you know, whatever. Uh, in the end, we're going to see that this woman didn't have quite the same amount of influence. So you're arguing that in Matthew, when she says have nothing to do with that righteous man, that doesn't necessarily mean that she's wanting Pilate to sentence him to death. It's more just like, don't, you know, don't associate with him. Don't get involved. Oh, I think it's even more along the lines of don't put him to death. You need to get your hands off of this entire situation. Don't mess with this guy. Don't mess, don't mess with anything. That's the way I take it. That's interesting. Yeah. Have nothing to do with that righteous man. I, I think she's saying, don't do it. Don't sentence him to death. Don't do it. So. Well, my, my whole parallel <laughs> just crumbled right there. Well, but you still got the powerful men and their wives and the influence. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's good. It's good. It's good. Every time we can connect one part of scripture to another part of scripture and see, you know, parallels, even even though sometimes they're, they're, we're seeing things that match or things that don't match or whatever, it's always good, valuable. So, all right, so you, you done for now? Yep, yep. Okay. The next bit, we're looking at Matthew chapter 27, verses 20 through 26. This parallels Mark chapter 15, 11 through 15. And Luke chapter 23, verses 20 to 25. And we're going to read the long one. Going to read Matthew. Says this. Now the chief priests and the elders 
persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Then he released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. Oh my goodness, there's so much in here. So, so okay. First, you got the chief priests, the elders. Now they're stirring up the crowd. They're working up the crowd, persuading the crowd. And again, why is there a crowd gathering? Because this is Pilate's normal thing at Passover. He's going to release somebody. They want to shout for someone to be released. So the chief priests, they're, they're sort of getting everybody on their side. Now, it's an important side note. Samuel, I have to say this out loud. This crowd that we're talking about right here, even the ones who aren't the chief priests, the scribes, elders, whatever, these are not the same people who had praised him as Messiah and King at the triumphal entry. I can't even believe how many times I've heard that preached. Why, it was just a week before that they'd hailed him as Messiah, and now they want to crucify him. Stop saying that. It may be one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. You need to get that out of your head. And if you ever hear anybody say it, stand up and walk out. I'm kidding. Don't be that impolite. But I'm just saying that it is not the same crowd. These are people who are here trying to get some sort of criminal released. They're probably, in this case, zealots. They're probably people who were in the resurrection and never got, or not the resurrection, sorry, the insurrection and never got caught. I'm just saying, get that image out of your head. Now, Pilate offers it again. I mean, it's kind of a, come on, seriously, guys, which one should I release? Jesus, who is called the Christ. I love how Pilate throws that in. Jesus, who is called Christ or Barabbas. The crowd screams for Barabbas. And again, looking from the outside, it just seems insane. Barabbas's zealot friends and the chief priests, okay, they were never friendly. I mean, a zealot would have killed a chief priest with an opportunity in a second. I mean, but all of a sudden, now they're strange bedfellows. But I mean, here it is. There it is right there. Now, Pilate, too, is in disbelief. And so he asked, well, then what do you want me to do with this Jesus? You know, who is called Christ. <laughs> Again, I love that. The crowd responds with, crucify him. And, and then probably a lot like us, as we're reading this story, 
Pilate, he just doesn't get it. And he, he has to ask, but why? What is it that he has done that is so bad in your eyes? But it's at this point when Pilate appears to just lose control of the crowd. For whatever reason, they're bent on crucifixion for Jesus. They are near riot. And so Pilate decides just to give them what they want. And then he puts on a little show. He washes his hands for the crowd and claims that he is innocent of this man's blood. So in some sense, I think he's kind of sort of, you know, trying to follow his wife's advice, satisfying mm-hmm. hers and even his own superstitions. And then, oh, Samuel, it's hard to even read it. Shockingly, the crowd, and whether it's chief priests or other people, or it doesn't matter, they're Jews. They accept the responsibility that, that Pilate is trying to sort of relieve himself of. They say, let his blood be on us and on our children. That's crazy. Now, on one hand, Pilate, I think he's probably very willing to, to, to give that over, right? And, and to, yeah, let, let, let it be on you. I believe that this request made by these people standing here screaming and shouting, I believe that that request was also granted by, you know, the true authority, God himself. He did let that blood, Jesus's blood, be on them and their children. But I have to add this super important caveat. This was limited to this generation. Now, if you wanted to, you could go read something that sort of addresses this. It's Matthew chapter 23, verses 31 to 36. We've already been over it. This wasn't some sort of eternal curse. We should not read this as some sort of justification for every bad thing that has ever happened to the Jews across the centuries, whether we've done it in the past or we do it nowadays or other people do it. It it doesn't matter. That is not what this is saying. They, the Jews, they are living in exile. Even though you might look and say, oh, but there's some recent progress. They got their state back, you know, whatever. The fact that they are living in exile is a much more appropriate reason for their sufferings. They, for all time, have remained the chosen people. Now, for what it's worth, you could look at this and say, well, the Sadducees did, in fact, cease to be not long after calling down this curse on themselves. So, I mean, you see it in that. You see in everything that happens in the next 40 years or so, the very specific results of them calling this curse down on themselves. But again, it's just important that we don't look at this as a for all time thing and that this is why God, you know, uh, rejected the Jews or anything like that. That is not what's being said here. All right, I'll get down off my soapbox. Now, Pilate, he goes ahead and releases Barabbas. He's an insurrectionist. He's a murderer. Okay, he does that. What else does he do, Samuel? He scourged Jesus. And what's the final thing he does? He delivers him over to be crucified. Just out of curiosity, Samuel, what were they going to do with the cross that they already had prepared for Barabbas? So it, w- it would have already been 
pre-made for him? Well, I guess we don't know. Let's just pretend for a moment that, yeah, it was. We know that uh, it was. They probably would have just been like, use it for the guy that they traded places with them for. Right. Exactly. I, okay. We don't know it, but how convenient would that have been? Hey, darn it. They let somebody go. We have this extra cross now. Oh, wait. We've got this poor guy. Let's put him on it. Right. I mean, it could have been. It really could have been. Now, this all seems pretty final. Like we've reached the end of the story with Pilate and, you know, the the trial, if you want to call it that. But we're going to actually have to go through it kind of sort of again until we reach the end of John's narrative. And the problem is that John's narrative, it just doesn't easily align with the synoptics. We've got a lot of extra stuff in there, but then we also have a few things that are going to sound like repeats. We're just going to have to live with it. I, I just couldn't figure out a good way to make it all work. So you'll see when we get there. But before we do that, let's not too quickly pass over one particular phrase here. And it's the fact that they scourged Jesus. Samuel, I know I usually have you read scripture. Now I want you to read a quote from a commentary that describes what scourging or flogging is. So read that for us. A Roman flogging, traditionally scourging, was an excruciating punishment. The victim was stripped of his clothes and bound to a post with his hands fastened above him, or sometimes he was thrown to the ground. Guards standing on either side of the victim would incessantly beat him with a whip, flagellum, made out of leather with pieces of lead and bone inserted into its ends. While the Jews only allowed 39 lashes, the Romans had no such limit. Many people who received such a beating died as a result. Okay. Maybe you've heard some of that before. Maybe you haven't. Doesn't matter. The point is, to be scourged by the Romans, this was a really, really devastating thing physically. So from this moment, well, let's, let's just repeat that last part. Some people, I mean, they just died from the scourging. They didn't even, whatever else they had in mind, they never got there. They just died. So from this moment forward, it would be appropriate to imagine Jesus's life literally hanging in the balance. Everything from this moment forward would have been a great, great physical difficulty for him. He was... I think in in like the clearest sense, he was a dead man walking. Now that you have that image in your head, I think that this kind of enhances a lot of the mental imagery that we might create around verses. And you know what, Samuel, I'm going to have you read a few of them. How about, a, how about Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6? I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. All right. Now, we haven't seen, well, we've seen most of that. Yeah, it it covered a lot. What were you going to say, Samuel? Oh, I was, I guess I'm thinking that he already had been spit on, but maybe the text hasn't said that yet. Yeah, yeah. The, The point is, some of it we have already seen and some of it we haven't quite seen yet, but that's okay. It's all going to get covered. But okay, so that one was really, wow, that's so clear. That's exactly what's going on here. Uh, How about Psalm chapter 129, verse 3? The plowers plowed upon my back, 
they made long their furrows. Oh, isn't that just vivid? And in each of these, I think we're, you know, we're looking back and we're, we're making the assumption these are uh, verses that in some way relate to Messiah. One more, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Yeah. So, so in all of this, again, we go back, or sometimes it's so difficult to understand God's way of looking at the world, but he's just smarter. He gets it, whatever. This was the plan. This was, this was a thing that was predicted in some way. So it's awful, but there it is. Sammy, do you got anything you want to talk about in all this? Because we talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Um, the first is, now, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it uh, f- from a morbid sense, but if if the description of the scourging that I read and our discussion of it thus far still has not made its mark, not no pun intended, uh-huh. on you. I know that, that it's dramatized to some event, but the the film, The Passion of the, of the Christ, has a scene oh, of yeah. the scourging, and it is just, they don't hold back. Let me just say that. It is just unbelievably brutal. So, like if this hasn't convicted you and you need more visual imagery, I mean, like <laughs> enter, enter enter that with caution. But I just know that when I saw that scene, it really made an impression of like Paul's not lying when he said that Jesus was a dead man walking. I mean, those lead and bone <clears throat> ends to that whip would have punctured organs. They would have potentially embedded so deep. Like it just awful so um yeah literally bone showing through yeah you know it's it's hard to even imagine but now to be fair this is an awful awful thing but we shouldn't act like oh my gosh jesus was the only one who ever went through such a horrible thing nope romans did this to a lot of people so it wasn't as if jesus suffering was unique in all the universe what was unique about it is that he was sinless and did not deserve any suffering mm. or any death. And so that is what makes his suffering somehow worse than anyone else's. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Anything else? Yeah. Um, I guess I'm trying to fit contextually how this scourging came about. Like, okay, Pilate washes his hands he's like his blood be on you and then at the end of the matthew section it says then he released them for barabbas and having scourged jesus delivered him to be crucified so was it the these jewish rebels who were present are they the ones who requested like scourge jesus or was scourging like always a contributing act within a crucifixion in roman days yeah, uh, I I don't know if we can use the word always as in, you know, the, the two were never not paired together. I, I don't know about that, but it was super common. Hmm. And, and again, the text doesn't tell us that they were requesting it, 
they certainly could have. I mean, look at everything else they said. But I think if they had not requested it, Romans would have done it anyway. It was just a part of the package. Yeah. And um, the last thing is those Old Testament scripture references that you brought up, like amazing, amazing imagery and parallels, like contextually within those, like within Isaiah and Psalms, is that God speaking as the author in those passages, or is it like in the Psalm, is it David speaking about his enemies and we can apply it to this? I guess I'm just trying to think like if an Orthodox Jew would be reading those passages, would they see those verses as God speaking or would they take it differently? Well, First, there you we've talked about this before. You know that they're going to they're going to see two different things. There's going to be whether we call it the plain meaning or the actual like literal meaning, something that actually applies to their time and their place. Mm-hmm. So they're 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 going to look for that. They want their scripture to somehow relate to real time something or other. Okay, but you know when you get back in Isaiah and he starts speaking of this suffering servant. On one hand, they look at that and they say, oh, well, that's us. That's Israel as a nation, right? Mm -hmm. But they also look beyond that and they say, hey, no, this isn't just us. This is part of God's plan. There's there's a Messiah coming. Now, since all of the stuff that happens between Judaism and Christianity and that kind of stuff, they've really tried to downplay where these things refer to Messiah, whatever. But... There's, there's lots of written history where Judaism has seen within these scriptures, oh, oh, in addition to whatever the plain meaning might be, we do see this, this is, you know, speaking of the Messiah, that seed that was spoken of in Genesis, all that. So, so they're seeing both. I don't know that in any of them they're seeing God speaking as, as in like God the Father from the throne kind of a thing. I I think it could be David or it could be like in Isaiah 53, they're talking about that suffering servant, right? It's different things. We'd have to go and look at each one individually. But uh, anyway, point is they're seeing both just like we do now. Yeah. 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 They just try to pretend they don't. (laughs) (laughs) And I I know we need to move on, but um, this, this accepting of the responsibility that these people who are shouting out to crucify him even though that that is happening like the text says it they still had to be subservient to rome to carry out the the death penalty it's not as if that they were participating in any part of that like Pilate washed his hands he's like do with them what you wish and then it's these jewish people telling the roman guards like this is what we want and then they execute it yeah, it's it's kind of a weird thing. There's and I, I think we're gonna see this as we continue in the story. First, the Jews would not have been allowed to stone him just on their own. But when they went to Pilate, I still think that there are two possibilities. Pilate could have executed him on their behalf, or Pilate could have given them permission to execute him. And what's interesting is when he, Pilate actually says, he, we've seen him say it already, he's going to say it again in the John scriptures, 
go do it yourself. But they don't take him up on the offer. Mm. Now, there's two parts to that, though. Maybe they just don't want to be responsible for it. We talked about that a little bit already. But also, they, they still need for Pilate to actually make the official judgment. And so that could be playing a role here as well. He's telling them to go do whatever. And it's like, yeah, but you've not actually said this man, you need to die, whatever, and then handed him over to them to carry it out. So that's another argument that that sort of sits behind this. They're waiting that he said, go do it, but he didn't officially pronounce judgment and then say, here, now you take him and go do it. So I don't know. It's kind of a, we're, we're, we're speculating. Everybody's yeah. speculating really what's going yeah. on. Yeah. I still think I, it's important though. I don't think that they want the responsibility, these Jews. Yeah. I think they, they really want the Romans to have the responsibility for it. Mm-hmm. I promise this is the last thing. I promise. No, that's uh, good. J- just to reinforce what you said at the beginning of this section, that these people who are shouting to crucify him are not the same people who were celebrating his entrance in the triumphal entry. The uh, the Luke account in Luke chapter 19, and starting in verse 37, it says, And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, and here's the, the important part. The whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice uh-huh. for, all the, for all the miracles and, you know, blessed Hosanna, etc. So that, I mean, in some ways you could think that, that that's like the whole crowd of people from the Galilee who have been following him yeah. throughout his teachings that have now made the migration from the Galilee to Jerusalem. That, yeah. The, in no way... In a week's time, could you have a whole crowd of people who have been following Jesus and his teaching for three years suddenly do a complete 180 and now they're wanting to put him to death? Like, no. th- these are completely two g- different groups of people. Exactly. Yeah. And even when it says disciples, we're not talking about 12. We're not right. even talking about 70. We're talking about hundreds or maybe thousands people who they are hopeful. They want this to be the Messiah. So, yeah, good point. Glad you went back and read that. I I forgot about that word. I didn't go look. Mm -hmm. So that's good. Excellent. Okay, now I'm done. Okay. (laughs) I am am done. Hey, that's good. This was was a really big section. A lot happened in there. So that's all good. That's all good. All right. So the next bit. Well, now this, we're going to move from where the synoptics have, it kind of feels like they've wrapped up this little chapter of the story. but. Now you're going to see where John and the synoptics kind of, they match together, and yet John goes on to tell a whole bunch more of the story, and some of it sounds like repeats or whatever, but doesn't matter. Look, we're going to do it. What I'm going to do, well, let's see. First, let's say Matthew chapter 27, verses 27 to 30, Mark chapter 15, verses 16 to 19, and John chapter 19, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to go ahead and read Matthew just so you can hear the continuation of the story from the synoptic perspective, and then I'm going to read John's because that's when he's going to start to put a new twist on things. So Matthew says this, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him 
and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. All right, so synoptics, they read that way. Now let's go to John, and here's where it's going to be similar but different. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. All right, so I'm sure you heard the the things that matched and then the things that were like, well, that sounds like a repeat, right? So, so John, you know, he starts out with the whole mocking thing, which lines up perfectly with the synoptics, but it has, he has a completely different story before delivering him over to be crucified, which in the synoptics he's already done. But notice in all the versions, this is after the flogging or the scourging. I mean, John started with it, but it's all after that. Now, And remember, I'm going to say it again. Jesus may be quite close to death even at this point. So, though Pilate finds no guilt in him, he has Jesus, I don't even know what you want to say. He has him guarded or accompanied or surrounded, whatever, by an entire battalion. Samuel, do you have any idea how big a battalion is? I want to say that this has got to be similar to that cohort word, which is like 600 people. Yeah, they are the same. Yeah, it's a cohort. Six centuries, if you want to say it that way. Century is 100, right? Six of those. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Now, okay, again, was the entire 600 there? I don't know, but it sure makes it sound like it. And we're at Pilate's headquarters, so it seems at least possible. It's daytime, right? All of it. So it may be now 600 guys for this Jesus character. And so all these soldiers, they begin to mock Jesus. Now, it says that they fashion a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. Now, (laughs) I don't know if you've seen some of these paintings or whatever. Okay, let me just say that it's not likely those ginormous thorns that you see (laughs) in common imagery that look like they'd you know, poke a hole in his head that would reach his brain, you know, and all this thing. It probably wasn't quite like that. It was more like, and I don't know if you've ever seen this. If you haven't, you can go look it up on the web, a laurel wreath, because this was very common to wear the laurel wreath. Anyone who was, you know, like some sort of leader or like a Caesar or or something like that. It probably looked a lot more like that, except it was made not with laurel, but with something that was 
you know, what's a word? Stickery or thorny or, you know, something, probably something more like weeds than laurel. Okay. But I'm sure it wasn't like comfortable. He probably felt the pokies and all that stuff, but it wasn't the, you know, the big nasty three inch long thorn thing that you see. Anyway, he gets stripped and uh, okay, on just on one hand, this just is further degradation, right? They're just doing whatever they can to mock and degrade him. So, but there's a little confusion. I mean, the the last thing we knew, he was wearing this shining kingly garments from Herod. And but what we don't know, as you read Samuel, flogging usually includes stripping the person down. Now, Maybe he was flogged in these garments, or maybe they stripped him down before they flogged him. I don't know, but here he's being stripped again for whatever that's worth. I don't know. Either way, they're replacing what Herod sent with this purple or scarlet cloak or robe. And and just so you know, purple in this time, in this day, it was also indicative of royalty. So, in a way, it's also like Pilate is trying to pull the same cheap joke that Herod pulled, dressing him up like a king, right? But whatever, you've got to think, after the scourging, anything touching what was left of his skin was probably excruciating. Mm. So get that in your mental image. Uh, they even gave him a reed as a scepter, right? It's kind of that kingly staff or whatever, something like that. And to complete their work, they bow before him. They're hailing him as the king of the Jews. And then they spit on him and they hit him with their hands and they hit him with uh, possibly the reed that they had given him, possibly additional reeds, whatever. This is where you're seeing more of that Isaiah chapter 50, verse six stuff. And now think of this. They they probably thought in this moment that this was kind of like 600 verses one. There's nothing this guy can do. They can do any old thing they want. But of course, they have no idea how many Jesus could command on his behalf. They have no idea of the future reality of, of where we know the scriptures lead. In fact, uh, I thought this was a good one. Samuel, why don't you read from Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yeah. So they're foreshadowing reality. They just don't know it. In their minds, they're mocking him. They think they're funny, whatever. So anyway, there you go. That's going on. And now John, he he adds to the story, and, and some of it seems like what we've already read. Some of it seems new. It seems new, especially since in John's version, it's after the scourging, after the flogging. Anyway, Pilate brings him out again. And apparently, Pilate believes that he's making it clear that he finds no guilt in Jesus. And I think we can read in this that he really would have preferred to release Jesus instead of releasing Barabbas. But... The crowd isn't bending. So Jesus comes out, severely scourged. He's dying, dressed up like a mock king. And Pilate declares, behold the man. Now, what's funny is when you read other writings from this time, the sense 
of what Pilate is saying is actually more along the lines of what we would think if he had said, you know, something like, here's your king or hail your king or, you know, something like that. Behold the man. So in a sense, I think what we should be seeing here in the text is that Pilate is now mocking the crowd. You brought him to me as a threat, a king who would upset Rome. Now look at him. He's no threat. And like from Pilate's perspective, I find no guilt in him. He's no threat. Now, obviously, Pilate isn't privy to the whole big story like we are. But what's really cool, I love this part, Samuel. I can't even, I should have written down where I got this because this is cool. (laughs) Pilate did something unintentionally. I think that it's actually possible that some, possibly many in this crowd may have picked up on this. By saying, behold, the man, he's actually alluding to a messianic title. He's alluding to something in the prophets that is actually referring to Messiah. So Samuel, I want you to read Zechariah chapter 6, verse 12. And say to him, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yeah. And we talked about this way back when we were talking about Nazareth. It's like branch town or, you know, we made little jokes, whatever. But listen, thus says the Lord of hosts, behold the man. Hmm. That's exactly what Pilate says. Again, maybe it was the writer of the Gospels who was doing that. Maybe Pilate really said, well, it doesn't matter. That is a cool, cool connection. Anyway, that last little bit, when the chief priests and officers see him, Again, these are the Jews, his accusers. They cry out again, crucify him. And so Pilate, he's just frustrated. The crowd wants him dead, but he sees no guilt. So he tells them to go crucify him themselves. I'm, I don't see any guilt. You go do it. Now, here's the thing, though. By law, if, if Jews were going to go kill him, They would have to stone him, right? So he tells them to go crucify him themselves. Well, they wouldn't do that. They would stone him. But notice, here it is, Pilate's in at least some sense. He's giving them permission to carry out the death sentence on their own. He just needs to provide that official ruling, that official judgment. And and again, we're going to see them sidestep. But anyway, there's that bit, Samuel. What do you got there? (laughs) Yeah, this, that, uh, I picked up on that pilot phrase, behold the man too. I was just thinking about how we, uh, in this podcast, we have said that Jesus is the true man. Like what his life is what humanity is truly meant to look like. And it's just very poignant that Pilate says like, you know, behold the man in some ways it's like, the. This is, yeah, the man, and <laughs> here this individual Jesus is, instead of deserving the honor and praise that he deserves because of a obedient life, he is completely at, at the lowest of lows with enemies just completely mistreating him. So I, I just think that's very powerful. Yeah, it totally is. Mm-hmm. I love it. 
anything else. Yeah. Another thing that struck me when you had said that Jesus may, I mean, we, we've already reiterated, but through all of this, that he, Jesus could have been close to the point of death in the midst of all of this. I find that very powerful because think about all of the times where throughout Jesus's ministry, he is telling his disciples that the son of man must be delivered over and to be crucified. Yeah. Um, and there, and there's even prophecies like, I'm not, you're probably going to mention it later, but like in Psalm 22 verse 16, you know, that's a messianic prophecy. It says they have pierced my hands and my feet. Right. So, so think about within Jesus's humanity, like literally having to will himself to stay alive to the point where like what God commissioned him to do that, it, that it would have been, I don't know if you would say, I don't know if one go as far as say it would have been disobedient for him, but God's mission, the father's mission for him was to be crucified. And he had to overcome this <laughs> feeling of wanting to just give up and, and die right? until the appointed time. So I just think that's really powerful too, that, even in that moment, he's choosing God's will above his own, like his own will. And this may be, may have been like, I just, I'm ready to go. Like, yeah, <laughs> but he's, he still is surrendering to the father's will and, and not choosing the point of his, his death. Yeah. Just think in those moments before they've actually stopped flogging him. I mean, he's fully human. You know, he's going to think and feel just like we do. There had to be some part of him that was like, oh, God, really? I have to somehow survive this and still go through crucifixion? Really? Isn't this enough? Who wouldn't think that? Yeah. Well, and you, you know? see it in movies all the time of like in military war movies when someone's badly wounded and one of their companions is trying to keep them alive until help arrives and yeah, you know they're constantly like slapping them like stay awake stay awake like i right. mean in some ways jesus is doing that to himself like yeah. you can't go to sleep yet it's not time to go to sleep yeah oh it is i mean it's one of those things where now we've tried to treat it just like we've done all the rest of the scripture we're just talking through it you know trying to bring the information doing all the stuff not really getting too emotionally involved or what do we call it today Samuel that we're not really uh talking about the feels or whatever mm. but if you let yourself really go down this little rabbit hole you you imagine what this would have been like the the sounds the smells the 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 sensations the everything the pain the all of it this is just just brutal and awful. And again, we don't want to make it sound like no other human in history ever went through anything as bad. Of course they have. But, you know, just notice it for what it is. Let let it be what it is. This was brutal and awful. Yeah. So, yeah. It just makes it feel more harsh because Jesus is truly someone that did not deserve it. Yeah, and 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 you know we always hear people say things like, "and he did that for you," and you know what? What are we going to say? It's true, and and you start putting that together, you really feel the weight of this moment, and feel it, 
in direct relation to you, even if you think of it as you and you alone, whatever, man, that is heavy. That mm. is heavy. And I mean, we, we think of it in terms of Jesus. We think of it in terms of the Son of God. This is God choosing to do this for humanity, choosing to do this for you. That God, he is worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your loyalty. He's worthy of your obedience. He's worthy of everything that you could give him, which is, of course, your life. And you do. You need to lay your life down for him as a response to what he has done for you. We don't obey because we think it's going to earn us something. We obey because he's worthy of it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's good stuff. That is a, that's, that's a very n- nice bow that you have ended with. Uh, and you're going to add one thing to it, aren't you? I am not. I'm, <laughs> I'm just re- reiterating how nicely you wrap that up for us. Half of our audience is now let down. <laughs> no. Yeah, that's it's good. It's a good way to end. So, you know what? Let's just do that. Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie Dokie Most podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. Until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. We'll talk to you again soon.